So here we are, Mike Crawford. We got a special guest. It's Saturday afternoon, Young Jerks, uh, with us right now from his home. I think. I think you're at home, right? Yep. Is uh, Cambridge City Councilor, friend of the show, Quinton Zondervan. What's up? Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. It always a pleasure to have you on the show, but this is going to be different, obviously, today for a number of reasons. Yes. Unfortunately, these are difficult times. Definitely are. Um, you know, you, we've, we've had you on to talk about so many different issues, and I thought uh, to do my first broadcast from my home, I don't know. Can you hear it in the background? Can you hear the uh, the the guys outside? They're actually uh, doing the spring cleaning outside of my lawn. Yeah, sometimes. At the same time, I'm doing my first live broadcast. You can hear it. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. I knew. I knew as soon as we went live, they were going to be right around my place. This is classic. This is classic for me. <laughs> Throwing everything at me. Broke the microphone. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's loud, but uh, we'll we'll get through it. Oh my God! Did you hear that one? Yeah. I think they're fine. maybe they're watching outside and like we're gonna be on. Like this is the new uh, Zoom hijacking. I'm, I've been worried about getting hijacked on Zoom. And there you go. There you go. I'm getting hijacked. Maybe we can outlaw uh, outlaw those. What do they, what do you call those things? Leaf blowers. Yeah. Please. I hate them. <laughs> That would be my third attempt. Again, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're talking to Cambridge City Councilor Quentin uh, Zondervan. And, of course, we wanted to talk about what everybody's talking about is, you know, why we're even not doing a live broadcast from our studio anymore. Why we don't have you in like we usually do. Uh, because we had to give up our studio and people are in economic hard times now and, and, and frightened about this uh, covid 19 the coronavirus and it's affecting every single one of us so i wanted to reach out to you to talk you know to you first as our first guest on the show um my my first live broadcast from home here about this so uh, how is cambridge dealing with this well so we've been in in lockdown now for really about a week it took us about a week um, to get there, I've been at home for tomorrow will be three weeks. Um, but you know, two weeks ago we had a committee hearing, and I dialed in. I was the only one who who dialed in remote. And then the next Monday, uh, about half the council dialed in, and then last Monday, um, almost the entire council dialed in. So progressively, we've been getting to um, a real shutdown. The city manager has now uh, closed uh, non-essential businesses. And we've been inviting people to, to stay home except for, um, you know, grocery runs and, and a little exercise. Um, and what we're doing now is trying to figure out, you know, how to support um, our most vulnerable populations. You know, we have uh, seniors, uh, people who are homeless, um, people who are food challenged. And so just figuring out how to make sure that we can support them and keep them safe. And then also thinking about our businesses, our local businesses, how do we support those and, and provide some continuity because obviously, you know, our, our economy is in free fall now. So a lot of those businesses are, are in danger of closing and, and many of them won't reopen. That's one of the lessons we learned from, from previous disasters like um, Hurricane Sandy is that a lot of the local businesses that shut down don't, don't end up reopening. So trying to figure out how to prevent some of that as much as we can. Um, and then you know trying to conduct our business as a council um, transparently. We've had some challenges, but we're now doing public comment over Zoom. Um, and I'm trying to get us to the point where we can do the entire meeting over Zoom, but there's some technical challenges with that. Um, and, you know, at some point, we will get back to doing other things uh, in our council meetings. But for now, 
our agendas really are focused on on dealing with this immediate crisis um, right now. So I've been carefully tracking our case count in Cambridge. And right now we're still on exponential. Um, we're at 46 cases as of yesterday. So it's still small numbers, but but uh, the hope is that we can flatten that curve and, and stop increasing at, at an exponential rate as quickly as possible. Now, uh, we mentioned you mentioned a lot of different uh, topics there. I guess I, one of the things I want to start with was the homeless because I have friends who are homeless who are really concerned about other homeless right now, uh, specifically the lack of housing, the lack of, you know, where are they supposed to shelter? Number one, um, even when they go to shelters, it's like, is that higher risk than sleeping out in the street? A lot of them feel like it is, um, as well as food, like all the fast food places, they don't have kitchens. They can't go to market basket and stock up. Um, they rely on, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, those places who have, you know, started to shut down. Um, all the restaurants have shut down. It's, you know, still takeout, but it's, they're limiting, you know, in terms of even, you know, where they can eat and when they can eat. There's a lot of issues around the homeless right now. What is Cambridge? Because I think Cambridge is a leader on so many of these issues. And, and we know that we have other towns and cities, especially selectmen and, they listen to the show and, and they look for information from Cambridge, Somerville, Boston, uh, on what they should be doing in the suburbs or the more rural parts of the state. So what are you doing, Cambridge, right now for the homeless to deal with those issues? And the bathroom issue, I mean, that's got to yeah. be, that's another one he brings up. Like, you know, so often he, he would go to Starbucks. He, they loved him at Starbucks. He was friends with them. They would let him use the bathroom. Um, he could use their Wi-Fi and all that. And now that's totally gone. So where does... A homeless person go to the bathroom now. Right, uh, it's it's a huge challenge, and and one of the things that this virus will hopefully teach us is that we really should have taken care of people a long time ago, and not wait for a crisis situation when it's that much harder um, to address these problems. Um, but we we do have a partnership with Food for Free, um, that's run by our vice mayor, um, Alana Mallon to do food distribution to people who are food challenged. Um, the city manager has put an appropriation on Monday's agenda to um, help fund the, the Y2Y shell, homeless shelter in, in Harvard Square, the youth, youth shelter. Um, and we had a, a number of policy orders on the agenda last week to ask the city manager to uh, locate temporary shelters um, because one of the many challenges that we're dealing with here is, is exactly as you point out, is that when in, in order to do social distancing, you need more space. And so even the existing shelters aren't good enough anymore. You need even that, that much more space to be able to isolate people if they get sick or if they're vulnerable to getting sick so that they can be uh, housed safely at, at a distance from other people. Um, we're also doing a program with the Central Square um, Business Improvement District to do food distribution to seniors and, and other uh, people who are vulnerable. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of things that, that the city can do. Um, there's also a mutual aid network that's sprung up and, and that's happening across uh, different cities and towns where people are volunteering to help uh, look after their neighbors and, and help with food distribution and things like that. So. And I think we're going to have to leverage all of these different uh, resources to, you know, really get to um, people who are in the most need uh, quickly and then, you know, start building up from there to get, get to everybody else. Um, but, but again, you know, hopefully we will learn our lesson from all this and, and make some of this infrastructure that we're building permanent so that the next time we have a natural disaster, we don't, have so many vulnerable people who are, who are being underserved. We won't go from scratch, of course. Again, I, I don't know if anyone can pick this up listening at home, but uh, we we have a landscaping crew outside uh, blasted away on their, what do you call those things, the leaf blower? The leaf blowers. Well, oh, I, I, I wasn't hearing them when I was talking. So You did or didn't? Did not. You did not, okay. I wonder if our audience hears the leaf blowers like I do. 
it's driving me nuts. But that's okay. This is I can get through this. I have uh, my friend Cambridge City Councilor Quentin Zondervan here on Zoom. I was going to say on the phone, but no, you're on on we're on Zoom today. This is all new for me. New for you? I have you been using Zoom for a while now? I have, although I've been using it much more intensely now, but one of the interesting things about the environmental climate movement is that you know not on purpose we've been using this kind of technology for a long time because we're so distributed and it's it's convenient for us to be able to interact with each other uh, through this technology and of course we don't want to get on airplanes and and fly around and, <laughs> and meet physically so so in some ways we were a little bit prepared well i like i'm spending less money and time in the automobile to go to the studio this is a an improvement for me I love it. Yeah. Like one of the things I really hated about doing a weekly show is that drive from the North shore to Somerville, Cambridge. We, you know, and, you know, we did in Brighton as well, three different, four different locations, Everett too. <laughs> so we, yeah. we moved around in our studios, but it was always in that location. And it was just a long ride, even on a weekend and a lot of gas wasted. Now I, uh, I, I I'm not spending, I'm not going to the gas station as much without that long drive once a week. Mm -hmm. So, and there you go. That's another lesson that hopefully we'll learn is that actually we can conduct a lot of our business over over Zoom. And so maybe we don't need to drive around as much as we used to. I think we're very lucky that the technology kind of caught up to us. You know, if this happened yeah. 10 years ago, it would be a lot different yeah. than yeah. right now. So, um, again, we're, we're speaking to Cambridge City Councilor Quentin Zondervan. My name is Mike Crawford. I'm the host of The Young Jerks. You'll notice now that uh, we also have Grant. Smith Ellis or Grant Smith. I don't know. He has a couple different names he goes by, but Grant Smith is what most people know him as. Uh, he's also hosting episodes now of the Young Jerks remotely from his home. Going to be a lot more. We also have on uh, Monday night at 530, I'll be interviewing uh, Mass State Rep Nika Alugado. Very excited about that, uh, about what the state's doing. Uh, we're talking to Quentin about what the city of Cambridge is doing about the COVID-19 uh, we had a lot of questions. Um, one thing I wanted just to get your mention is um, we got the news today that uh, a friend of the show, he he co-hosted our five-year anniversary party last year and won the big award. Uh, former Boston City Councilor Tito Jackson has tested positive for the COVID-19. He posted about it on his Facebook uh, just oh, no. today. Uh, do, you, do you know Tito? Do you have any comment on that? I do. Yeah, I, I do know Tito. I, I met with him uh, just a couple of months ago, and uh, yeah, that's that's very concerning. So I, my best wishes to him, and, and I hope he recovers. I mean, one of the good news things about this virus is that most of us, when when we do get it, uh, will survive. So, um, you know, it, it could have been a lot worse in that sense, but um, I, I certainly hope that he makes a speedy recovery. Me too. I, I got mad love uh, for Tito Jackson. He really did help up this show when he was running for mayor of Boston. He kept coming on our show and the numbers kept going up every time. And I think his poll numbers actually went up. I think he did better than what people expected for how little money he raised. He got a lot of votes yeah. per dollar. Um, yeah. And it, it was like we both went up at the same time. I love that. And uh, we, we yeah. also, you know, I, I felt like when he came on the show, that he got Mayor Walsh and, and Tito noted this to move like like five days after one of the biggest shows he came on when we got a lot of views talking all about cannabis. Mayor Walsh for the first time was like, "All right, I'm gonna go with Rec." You know, he basically got on board. So <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. I, I got mad love for uh, Tito Jackson. Always he helped us. Uh, speaking of recreational cannabis, there's been, um, you know, obviously there's a lawsuit in the city of Cambridge. So I, are there any rec number one dispensaries? No, there are still no rec dispensaries in Cambridge. Um, but, you know, eventually there will be, hopefully, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, because, you know, basically where I'm going on this, the angle is Governor Baker has banned the recreational cannabis right now um, and deemed it non-essential. He's deemed medical cannabis as essential. A lot of us in the cannabis advocacy space want to see him lift that ban on recreational because we feel like, you know, even myself, I've been a medical card holder for a long time, but right now I don't have a card. Um, 
I'm cutting back. My, my business is down 75% because of this, you know, I'm not going to get mm-hmm. unemployment even, you know, if I qualify, how am I going to get unemployment when I'm still making money at my business? You know what I mean? Like it's, right. it's just that my budget has gone way down. I'm not going to spend money to get a medical card right now. Um, so there are a lot of patients in a similar situation that don't have cards. Mm-hmm. So now they're, you know, either growing their own, which takes some time or they're, you know, seeing on the traditional, what we call the uh, illicit market. Um, we want to see, a lot of us want to see these dispensaries, the rec get allowed to back, open back up, uh, maybe with just curbside delivery or, or regular delivery as an option. Do you think that makes sense? Like you're a city councilor, you're going to be dealing with this in Cambridge. Would you feel comfortable having recreational dispensaries open with, with those kind of pre, preconditions in this environment right now? I would. I mean, I don't think it's, you know, any, really any different from a restaurant doing delivery. Um, and, and I think, you know, this, this situation is going to be with us for a couple of years. So we're going to have to figure out how to run these businesses um, in, in the presence of, you know, the COVID-19 threat um, in the long term. So I, I think in the short term, you know, it, it is most important to, to maximize social distancing. And so, you know, maybe we can argue about, you know, should this type of business be closed versus that other type of business and so on. But, you know, within two to three weeks, we're gonna have to start thinking about, okay, how do we reopen certain businesses with the right precautions to limit uh, the spread? Because, you know, we can't be in lockdown for two years, that's not practically going to work either so so it's it's really more of a short term you know just trying to do what's called suppression prevent the exponential spread of the virus and then hopefully we'll we'll find ways to come out of that and be able to to operate some of these businesses um in in a safe way you know i I think also i mean essential versus non-essential businesses is one thing but but really a, a bigger problem, I think, is, is gathering places, you know, like malls and things like that, where you get lots of people coming in and jostling against each other and interacting. I think those are the really high risk situations, you know, having a store that's managing customers coming in and out. And, you know, I mean, a lot of the um, recreational cannabis businesses anyway, were setting up pretty sophisticated um, techniques to to limit lines out the door and things like that right so so that you know they would have an app and they would notify you that your stuff is ready and you pick it up and so i think it they're they're actually really well suited to uh to be able to reopen with the right precautions uh, to, to limit the risk all right we're the young jerks we're speaking to uh city councilor from cambridge quinton zondervan and uh we just asked him about the recreational cannabis uh, feels fine about it for delivery uh, or uh, curbside pickup, which you know, which makes sense. Uh, so, you know, we've asked a few questions about the homeless, about cannabis. Now, what about rent and mortgages? Because this is a big issue now for people who have been, especially in the service industries or the gig economy or the pet care industry, tattoo artists. A lot of people were making pretty decent money, and now. They have no idea when they're going to go back to work. Um, is Cambridge considering, you know, rent moratoriums, mortgage moratoriums? It seems like it's a big issue right now. Yeah. So we have two orders on the on the agenda for Monday night, asking for that. Um, of course, you know, we, we don't have the ability, unfortunately, in, in Cambridge to um, declare a rent holiday or, or you know, impose that, but but we are asking our, our state and federal governments to do that. And we're also asking landlords to, to voluntarily do that if they can. Um, you know, a lot of the smaller landlords, they have to pay the mortgage and then they depend on the rent. And so another thing that we're asking for is um, for the city to, to help subsidize some of the rents um, where they can. You know, if somebody's um, financially in trouble and can't pay the rent, you know, can we step in and, and subsidize some of that? Um, so we're looking at all of those uh, options. Again, you know, I think the, the state and federal government really have to come in. I mean, 
obviously we saw that with the, the two trillion dollar relief package but you know we are we already know that's not going to be enough so we have to keep putting pressure on our state and federal governments to step in and, and help us out and then you know we'll continue to look at what we can do at the local level um to help people as well now do you think that uh governor baker is doing enough like right now in terms of sh- what he shut down or do you feel like he should be doing more like there should be more of a shutdown I think we should have had a shutdown sooner. And and I think the problem with delay is that each time you delay, you end up having to do even more draconian things later on, you know? So, so, I mean, it's hard to say whether we're doing enough right now. We have to keep looking at the numbers, but if, if it, if it keeps going up exponentially, then, then the answer is no, we're not doing enough. And then, have to climb down even more so you know it it would have been better if we had been where we are now two weeks ago but you know it it is what it is i I think the the main challenge is that you know a lot of people are still not fully realizing how serious this is and and they're not fully practicing uh, the right you know techniques to protect themselves and to protect our community so you know, I think we need to do a lot more in terms of educating people and, and just reminding them that it's really important to do proper social distancing, to wear masks, to wear gloves, you know, not to, I mean, you're going to feel funny about it, but just to get over that because it, it is the best thing to do, and not just for yourself, but for everybody else, because a lot of us could carry the virus and not even have symptoms. And so sure. you don't even know that you're spreading it. And so it's not just about preventing yourself from getting it, it's also preventing yourself from spreading it if you have it. We're the Young Jerks. Uh, we're here more often than we used to be. We used to be just uh, Sundays. Now it's uh, whenever we feel like. So if you're following us, make sure you're in our Facebook group. Definitely make sure you're in our Facebook group, the Young Jerks, or on our Facebook page so you can always get updated when we're live because sometimes we're going to be doing some surprise things. We're going to be doing much more broadcasts. If you want to support us, you can do so uh, we got several ways to do so. The best way is midnightmass.substack.com. Join that uh, page, become a paying subscriber. It definitely helps us bring more content to you. There is a cost to this. I'm going to be buying my girlfriend a new microphone that I broke today. <laughs> so we're going to have two. I'm going to I'm going to end up buying this one, the one without a stand now, because <laughs> I broke the stand and I'm holding it. So this is this works out perfectly. I needed a new mic anyways. <laughs> Uh, but you can help us pay for this broken microphone. I got a question uh, from our other host of the Young Jerks, Grant Smith, who's watching. He has a question for Quentin. Is there still a plan to create a social equity fund for economic empowerment, uh, social equity in Cambridge? Um, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I certainly hope so. Um, but I think at this point, we're just focused on you know, getting through the lawsuit and and at the same time uh, starting to open our businesses as soon as we can. So, you know, I, I think that discussion for the time being is a little bit on hold. And then of course, with the COVID-19 virus situation, it's even more on hold. So I don't, I don't really have an answer, unfortunately. Um, we want to ask uh, some other questions, you know, about the shutdown, go back to COVID-19, because that's the big the big one that everyone is now focused on. How long do you think the shutdown is going to last? Because Donald Trump said Easter a couple of days ago. Uh, some people seem to think that there you know, should be a gradual opening up. But talk about Cambridge and Massachusetts, Eastern Massachusetts, specifically Boston area, the suburbs. What do you expect? Are we going to open schools again this year or not? Like, how is this going to happen? Do you have any kind of insight for business owners, people who are need to make plans? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a crystal ball, so I, I'm, you know, there with with everybody else trying to figure this out. Um, I, I am talking to friends and experts, and you know, people who can do some of these analyses and and see if we can come up with some scenarios. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm reading the news every day as much as I can to, to see what other experts are saying. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the, there isn't a clear consensus yet on 
exactly how this unfolds. Um, I think you know Easter is is a little bit um, ambitious, optimistic. Um, I, you know I think we have to we have to watch the numbers, but but the the tests are always at least two weeks behind reality, and so by the time we start to see some drop off in the numbers, you know that's when we can start saying, okay, maybe in a couple of weeks we can start to relax some of these restrictions. And um, the other challenge that we're dealing with is it's not a, you know, okay, now we just go back to normal. Because again, we, we don't understand this virus enough. We don't know enough about the immunology of it. So we don't even know if people do become immune to it or not. Um, we don't know if it's gonna turn into a seasonal pandemic that comes back every year. So there's a lot of unknowns um, but I, I think the, the current type of lockdown, if you will, you know, if you look at other places like Wuhan and, um, for example, you know, they, they are just now starting to come out of it two and a half, three months after going into it. So I think that's a reasonable time frame uh, to plan for. And again, it's it's not. I don't think it's going to be all or nothing. So I think during those two to three months, we're going to figure out how to reopen certain businesses in a safe way, how to reallow certain activities, you know, change so that it's safer uh, for everybody. And you know, hopefully, as we start to see the case counts coming down, we can relax some of the restrictions locally. But we'll have to keep an eye out because what what they're already seeing in Wuhan and in Hong Kong and other places is that people coming back in are reintroducing the virus. And so right. we have to be ready for that and potentially have to go back into lockdown if, mm -hmm. if you get another outbreak. So it's definitely a very complex situation and, and the uncertainty is, is huge. Uh, we're the Young Jerks. My name is Mike Crawford. I am the host today. I'm with uh, Cambridge City Councilor Quinton Zondervan. We're talking about COVID-19. We're taking your questions online too. If you have a question on our Facebook, you could definitely make so, uh, make it so we can ask the question for you. We're probably also gonna open up our uh, Zoom room. We could figure out how to take some uh, Zoom questions maybe. We might do so in a couple minutes, but I got a couple more questions I wanna ask you. Um, recently, you know, remember Quentin, we, we always talk uh, that we always agree on pretty much everything. I don't know. We have. I don't know if we've ever really disagreed on anything. And I found something. I don't know. Do you oh, know no. about this that we? I found? Some, maybe not, though. Maybe you you <laughs> have come around, or maybe I'm misunderstanding. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, there's a hundred percent affordable housing for density that we talked to a better Cambridge about, um, and they kind of indicated that you might have been against it. And I'm guessing it's probably because of environmental reasons, but. I want to know, like, um, do you, like, wh where do you stand on that? What, where, where, you know, yeah, where do you stand? You know what I'm talking about, right? The, the, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, that's a tough one. Um, you know, it was very controversial last term in, in, the, in the city. And um, I was definitely um, not in favor of the policy as it was proposed. We did uh, end up making amendments to it and, and I think making it uh, a lot better. Um, I think it's it's going to come back this term, and you know we'll we'll have to take a vote on it. Um, but you know I, I will say that part of my um, concern about it and, and sort of my objections to it is that in many ways it, it's still a neoliberal uh, program. You know it's it's really saying well here's a way that we can give our affordable housing developers maybe a little leg, a little bit of a leg up in, in the market to buy property to build affordable housing. And, you know, my main um, objection, if you will, is that it, it just doesn't go far enough. You know, I, I think to, to really address the affordable housing crisis, we need to be building a lot more affordable housing and we need to mandate it. And, and what we're doing right now is, is just very incremental, very controversial, and very divisive, 
and so in, in many ways that's just not good policy why well, my, I, my question i guess is where does the divide is it about like neighborhoods don't want the density they don't want to change their neighborhood or like and what were the changes that you liked in that there well the i think that's kind of some change? right i think that's some of it but again it's it's not realistic to in my opinion to think that you know a policy like this is, is going to suddenly make suburban lots available for for affordable housing construction because again the market is so distorted that the cost of that land is so high that even a tweak like this doesn't really change that dynamic um, so you know I, I don't think it's that's a real issue I think there there are other properties like you know single story retail buildings uh, all over Cambridge including in the more suburban part of Cambridge that should be unlocked and that should become uh, available for affordable housing construction and, and this policy doesn't really address that um, in my opinion so so again you know I, I think it's yeah there, there were some objections um, and you know nobody's going to say oh we don't want more people in our neighborhood so so there's different ways that that comes out but but I don't think that's ultimately the real driving force behind it and you know there's so much underutilized and, and misutilized land in Cambridge that we could be building affordable housing on including properties that the city already owns um, that we're not building on so so to me it, it's just it doesn't feel like a real solution you know like we can like I, just looking out the window, I, I'm looking at a three and, and then step back to four story office building that was built across the street from my house, right? Well, guess what? Right now, that building is completely vacant, right? Mm. Nobody's going to work. So, you know, somehow we can arrange our society to build buildings like that that are practically useless most of the time, but we can't figure out a way to build housing. You know, it just, it just doesn't, that doesn't sit right with me. I, I feel like we just need to be a lot more um, aggressive and, and socialist about it. Now you mentioned the word socialist, socialism, <laughs> because that, that seems to be, you know, it's funny because, you know, the democratic election primary for president, we're seeing Bernie Sanders not going to win. It looks like, it looks like it's Joe Biden. I know you're a, you're a Bernie supporter. Um, right. However, a lot of the issues that he championed and that he, he continues to champion are now like the first thing Democrats and Republicans are supporting, uh, which is, right. you know, uh, you know, some of us feel like it doesn't go enough. It's, it's still primarily going to large corporations to bail them out first. But for the first time, you know, 2008, they should have bailed out small people. They didn't. Uh, this time they're seem, seemingly to trying to do that more. Um, but it seems like now the solution for a lot of people is, you know, universal health care, but it's only for this period of time, you know, do you think that right. like that people are going to go for this permanently, like that we're going to see mainstream Republicans and Democrats actually get a clue and say, you know what, like for me, I'm, I, I'm not a like crazy socialist at all. Like I'm a capitalist mostly, you know, but I believe in like smaller capital. Like I believe in like small business. I think the power of small business, I'm a small business owner. I love small business. Um, however, I feel like in certain industries like healthcare, even though a lot of it's nonprofit, it's profit driven, it's profit driven on large, you know, it's about money. Um, and that's not really what we want to be running our healthcare. Uh, socialism would make much more sense for healthcare. There's certain industries that I think really need it. Do you think that we'll see that because people are kind of waking up or do you think that this is just a short time? As long as COVID is here, people will, you know, have an extra security, but that will go away. Where do, where do, where do you see long-term? Well, I guess I, I hope for the latter, but I expect the former. <laughs> you know, I hope that, that this virus teaches us some permanent lessons uh, I'm, I'm skeptical that, you know, Republicans or even mainstream Democrats will, will suddenly become socialists. But, but I do have, I think, a pretty airtight logical argument for even the, the most greedy, selfish person 
that says, you know, well, is this really what you want? You know, I mean, this doesn't help anybody, you know, and, and even if you want to um, just, you know, be fabulously wealthy and, and keep all your money to yourself or whatever, if we enter into a future as we expect where we're going to see challenges like this like every freaking week right i mean right. climate change didn't stop because of covid-19 so you know and and there there are credible arguments that that covid-19 itself is one of the consequences of, right. of climate change we're and seeing so, more and more and more disasters just you know whether exactly. it's hurricanes or earthquakes Right, heat waves, flooding, and so the more vulnerable—that was the other one. Big fires. I mean, that's a lot right. of the masks that were coming from California to New York were from the fires. Now they need them in California. I mean, it's just exactly. And and the more vulnerable we are as a society, the more vulnerable our overall economy is, and and therefore the more vulnerable, you know, the the greedy capitalists are, and um, to losing tons of money. So so if that's all you care about, you want to make lots of money. Well, then share some of it back with the poor people. And, and if you're as good as you claim to be, then it'll all flow back to you anyway, because, you know, we have to spend the money. I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, the, the Senate and the, and the Congress and Trump are, are sending us checks because they're suddenly socialists. They realize the cold, hard logic of it, right? If we don't have money, right. we can't run the economy. They can't make money. So it's, it's just as simple as that. And it's always been that way. And that's why it's always stupid to you know to let people be poor and suffer but for some strange reason that lesson doesn't seem to penetrate so you know hopefully maybe this virus will finally teach it to us i don't know i know right how how like um as a city councilor you're you're dealing with the governor you know his administration directly affects what happens in what you're doing in cambridge how how do you rate governor baker's response to this COVID-19. And I want you to compare him to another governor, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who, you know, people, because I think people are familiar with what Andrew Cuomo is doing right now. Um, and obviously Donald Trump, like if you had to rate those three gentlemen, because those are people that we're all seeing and, and they're responsible, they're, they're managers. How do you rate those three guys? Well, I'll start with Trump, because that's easy. <laughs> Gets enough. <laughs> Gets enough, okay. <laughs> Um, I'd Cuomo say F versus, minus. <laughs> yeah, F minus. There you go. I didn't know that was allowed. I don't even know, but yeah, <laughs> F minus. Um, Cuomo, Cuomo versus Baker is a tough one. I, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are seeing Cuomo really stepping up, and, and I think in, in many ways he is. But at the same time, you got to look at the results. I mean, New York is a disaster. And, and part of the reason is because he was too late. You know, he should have done this again two weeks ago, three weeks ago months ago. I mean, we knew about this virus in December, you know, so for us to be so unprepared and, and so taken by surprise is, is just, you know, unbelievable. So, so in that sense, you know, pretty much everybody gets an F. Um, but, you know, I, I will say that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not happy with the speed of Baker's response, but he did ultimately respond. And, you know, we put some pressure on him, my colleague, sent them a letter that, that myself and lots of other uh, leaders co-signed. And he did eventually, you know, close down businesses and, and issue a stay-at-home order of sorts. Um, it just, it was too too late, you know, it should have happened sooner. And, and I think the same thing happened in New York. So, so I guess, you know, to some extent, maybe the jury's still out, you know, and we'll see who gets a D and who gets a C. But, um, you know, I think overall, this whole situation has been grossly mishandled. I mean, one of the many, many things that, that just blows my mind is that the U.S. federal government did a simulation of a pandemic. Do you know about this? Oh, yeah. All the conspiracy last theorists are talking about year. it. Yeah, last <laughs> they're, they're, year. Yeah, last year. I'm stuttering now. The conspiracy theorists are using that to say that the government is behind it somehow or, or right. something crazy. Yeah, which, it's unbelievable. Right. That, that's, that's nonsense. But yeah. But the fact that we did a simulation, and by the way, we failed, like the, the simulation was a disaster. And then the next, you know, just months later, we're hit with this, with the real thing and nothing was done to prepare us. I mean, it's just unbelievable. 
It is. And and what's so difficult about this now is the finance. Like we, when we've had you on the show, we've talked about the financial issues that people are having with healthcare and the cost of living and the rent. And now you add on this where so many of what, you know, we call the working class and small business owners, restaurants, masseuses, tattoo parlors. I mean, dogs, what I do, I dog care. I mean, you know, some of us are still covering the essential workers, but, you know, there's no extra vacation money that used to come in. And, and let me tell you, dog care is definitely down if you're even open at this point. Um, right. And same with, you know, radio and advert, like, you know, Dick Boston had to shut down their print publication. They've been doing amazing work. I want to give props to Dick Boston, uh, especially yeah. I, I would suggest if you care about local media, subscribe to us, midnightmass.substack.com and also Dick Boston, because we need more local coverage and, we're getting hit because a lot of our advertisers, whether it was the big dispensaries or the rock shows or the restaurants, they're all gone and they're not going to be advertising for a long time. So the only way we stay alive and keep the lights on is, you know, we work side jobs and pay for it, which I was doing, but now that's kind of dried up as much or, you know, the people who value it, the audience has to start kicking in. You have to support these locals or they're going to go away. Yeah. I mean, is there any hope that uh, a city like Cambridge could support local coverage? I'm looking at the Cambridge Chronicles, another one. Like, I'm wondering how he's going to survive. I hope he's doing well because right. he does good coverage as well. Local media, like, is there anything Cambridge can do? I mean, we talk about artists well, as well. How do right. we keep I this mean, stuff going? Right. It's it's a really good question. I, I mean, we do support the Cambridge Chronicles because it's our newspaper record. So, so the city pays them to advertise. Um, things that were required to publish. Um, I hope you consider the doing the same with Dick Boston. Maybe <laughs> us too, but Dick Boston especially. Yeah. I mean, we need them. I know it's Boston-based, but they cover Cambridge right. as well. Not as, you know, Cambridge right. Chronicle, obviously, is number one. Go ahead. Sorry. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something to think about. But then I also put in an order last Monday that we that we approved to ask the city manager to come forward with emergency appropriations to support uh, local businesses and, and organizations, particularly arts organizations, because again, you know, they, I mean, a lot of them may not even have access to the, the federal and state uh, funding that's coming available. And again, you know, if those nonprofits, those um, small businesses go away, likelihood is they won't reopen. So, right. so we have to carry them through this crisis if we want them to be there on the other side. And you know, longer term, I think we we really have to rethink our economy, you know, and, and we have to rethink how we do this so that we're not so vulnerable, we're not so brittle to disruptions, you know, because we're just running the whole thing on this knife edge. And if just the slightest thing happens, you know, like the mortgage crisis in 2009, and now this COVID-19 in 2020, boom, the whole thing's off the rails, you know, and then we're scrambling around and then all of a sudden we have trillions of dollars that we could spend on making it better. Well, why didn't we spend that two years ago, three years ago, you know, to make our economy more robust, to have more local capacity so that when we get hit by these disasters, it's not as catastrophic. I want to ask another question. Uh, locally, I think Boston's been covering as well as some other outlets, about prisoners and how you know there's a couple different groups that seem like they're high risk here it's obviously healthcare workers we know some of them are actually dying right now which is horrible um, but prisoners are also captive and and they have nowhere to hide um, and they're starting to release prisoners in certain states especially nonviolent ones um, is that movement happening in massachusetts where is that do you think it, it's it, it it should you know do you think we're on the right track on that or, or not in mass? I, I don't really know where we are in mass. I, I think we, we need to be doing that. Um, and, and again, it's, it's like all these other issues we've talked about. We should have been doing it anyway. You know? right. it's like we shouldn't be keeping all these people in prison. It's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, but, but again, even if you're just a very selfish person, it doesn't make sense to have all these concentrations of vulnerable people because the virus feasts on that, 
But guess what? All the prison guards, all the healthcare mm-hmm. workers, all their families, they all get, their all children, their families, young people are dying children, from this too. All the people they interact with. So, so anytime you have these concentrations of vulnerable communities, the virus just spreads through that back into the, the broader community and puts everybody back at risk. And so the more that we can eliminate these vulnerabilities, the safer all of us will be. Definitely. We're speaking to uh, Cambridge City Councilor Quentin Zondervan. My name is Mike Crawford. It's the Young Jerks. We got a lot of special things planned upcoming. This is my first Zoom show. I think I'm doing all right. Do, do people like the sound? Do they like the lighting? I'm still working on the lighting. Still working on a lot of things. I broke the microphone right before we went live. Uh, the landscapers, of course, were out making a lot of noise right outside my window as soon as I went live. But we're doing good. I, I feel pretty good. I, I'm with Quentin. I feel like we're getting to a lot of policy issues, a lot of good information, a lot of people listening online. Um, uh, someone just said, thank you for talking about inmates. So yeah, um, people are, are definitely checking this out and they're liking it. I'm noticing. I want to ask you some other questions. Uh, I'm not sure even how much time we have, but testing. That's like the big issue right now we see this nationally you know if you watch the news that there haven't been enough tests and people that want to get tests couldn't get tested uh do you feel like that is an issue in massachusetts because we seem like we're kind of one of the frontline states we're one of the top 10 states for this covid19 uh we're we're you know seeing rising numbers of cases do you feel like there's enough tests is there a test shortage in massachusetts what do you know anything about this yeah i mean again i'm you know not an expert, just furiously reading and catching up and, and staying abreast of the situation. But but my understanding is that the test shortage continues and that there's different points in the supply chain where there's more vulnerabilities, like some of the reagents that are needed, you know, there's there's a short shortage of those. And so even if you got more test kits, but then you don't have enough reagents. And so um, it's 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 a real problem. And you know, three weeks ago, I I started feeling a sore throat, and so I called up my doctor and I said, you know, I have a sore throat. I'm just gonna stay home and see how it goes. And and he said, yeah, that's fine, and don't even bother coming in for tests. So you know, I could have it. Like we don't know. Yeah, you may you may have had it. Right. We don't. We just don't know. And. And the bigger problem is that, again, as we start coming out of this initial suppression suppression phase where we say, okay, you know, the caseload is coming down, we can start to ease into, you know, maybe a little bit less strict social distancing and so forth. We We need testing because that's the only way we can tell where the virus is, right? Who has it? Who do we need to isolate so that we can continue to be interacting safely with, with everybody else. And so if this shortage continues and deepens, which everybody that I'm reading seems to think that will be the case, that complicates things further because it makes it that much harder for us to actually come out of the suppression phase and go into a phase where we can test and isolate. So, you know, it, it's a huge problem. It's a, it's a really huge problem. And again, what is shocking about it is that we were so unprepared. I mean, the fundamentals of this test are pretty straightforward. You know, I I ran a biotech company 10 years ago. My employees were doing the same things that this test is doing today. We have all the technology. We know how to do this stuff. And, And again, one of the blessings of this particular outbreak is that we had the viral DNA available or RNA available, you know, within weeks, right? And so we have the information, we have the technology, we should have been cranking out tests like South Korea. That didn't happen, and it's still not happening. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a shame. It's really sad, and it's going to cost us. It's, uh, yeah, because um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm crushed. I, I know that uh, Cambridge is doing you know, something hopefully for some of the local restaurants and businesses. I have uh, friends that have restaurants and businesses in Cambridge. Um, do you know if there's anything that people could be doing right now to contribute to the bit? Is there like a fund or anything like that in Cambridge? Yeah, we, we do have an emergency relief fund that's um, focused on individuals. But, um, you know, the, the best thing that 
that I've heard so far that individual people can do for businesses is, is to buy gift cards because that gives them cash now and then you can use it uh, later. Um, and then in terms of restaurants and so on, you know, to the extent that they're doing uh, takeout delivery, you know, people can continue to, to leverage that. Um, but, you know, a lot of these businesses are retooling their business model uh, as best as they can. You know, my daughter likes to, to use this um, yarn store, you know, gather here in Inman Square and they do delivery and pickup now, right? And oh, wow. so she was able to order some yarn so that she can, you know, crochet because she's sitting at home all day. Too. So some of these stores are, are finding ways to stay open with delivery. Is that like retail store? Right. Good. Delivery or pickup where, where the customer can order online, go to the store and just retrieve the stuff, you know, without uh, interacting with, with the staff. I think uh, I, we saw her duck through earlier. Is she, is she at home right now? Is she uh, under shelter? Yes, that was yeah. my wife. But yeah, oh, that my, was your wife. Daughter, okay. Yeah, she did really good at hiding. It was almost like a cat sighting. <laughs> it was like real quick. I don't know if anyone noticed. I did. It was awesome. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And so, how but, is yeah. your family life? Because you know, my family life is different now because we're so together now. Like you know, like before, we we always got space because we were either working or sometimes we were doing overnights on other people's houses. So we had vacations from each other. Now right. it's 24 seven. We're here unless, you know, the few essential workers we cover, that's it. You know, we're not even doing food shopping. We're having everything delivered from now on. Right. Right. How is your yeah, life like? I mean, it's, it's definitely very different. I mean, our daughter went off to college, you know, a year and a half ago and all of a sudden she's back. <laughs> that's a little different. Um, and she's back from New York city of all places. So thankfully, you know, she came home three weeks ago. So, you know, just in time uh, before the, the situation got a lot worse there. But, um, you know, we definitely have to develop a few new ways of, you know, respecting each other's privacy and, and you know, not trying to social, over-socialize, but at the same time, you know, making sure we do have opportunities to, to be together. So it's, it's definitely a little different, but, um, you know, again, one of the one of the many blessings is that at least this thing is happening to us at the beginning of spring. And so we can, we can still open the door and go outside and the weather's getting a little better. And, you know, hopefully that um, will prevent some amount of cabin fever anyway. Yeah, the winter will be tough if this comes comes yeah, back, that that's for tough, sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we, we, we do want to open it up. If someone wants to, if, if you're on Zoom, you know, one of the things we're recording on Zoom now, and if, you know, we had a phone line before, which I'm really bummed out about because we used to get some great phone calls. We don't really have an ability to take phone calls at this point uh, without the Zoom, but apparently we can do it through Zoom. 327-577-872 is our room number. You can try to call in that way if you have the Zoom app, but we're going to figure this out. You know, there is a way to get a phone number on Zoom, but it costs more money. So again, that's why we need your donations. We want to go all out on this midnightmass.substack.com. Um, again, my name is Mike Crawford. It's the Young Jerks with, with uh, Cambridge City Councilor Quinton uh, Zondervan. And uh, one of the you know, questions uh, or things that we've been seeing coming up is the social distancing. Often, especially young people aren't abiding by it, you know, they're, especially when it's a nice day in the parks. Um, some of the cities and towns have even gone to uh, the steps where they're taking down basketball nets. Um, is that something that Cambridge will do if social distancing, you know, is that something that's ever discussed or considered to really start cracking down and, and stopping people from being so close together in, in public places and gathering? Right. I mean, we, we have already closed our playgrounds and, and basketball courts and tennis courts. Um, so they're, they're not available. Um, and, and again, it's just not safe right now. And, and that is, really uh, unfortunate and, and very sad, but, you know, it, it's, it's necessary to protect our community. Um, again, the, the hope is that, you know, in, in a few weeks, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, we can get to a point where, you know, hopefully people can be tested and they can, you know, decide what activities are, are safe as long as, you know, nobody in the group has the virus as far as we're able to tell. I mean, you know, some 
families are now talking about, you know, pairing up and saying, well, if our family's been isolated and your family's been isolated, then we know we don't have it, so maybe we can, you know, hang out together. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, and I'm dealing it with, a, with, my, with my daughter, you know, she's 20 years old and she wants to socialize with her friends and then telling her, hey, just use FaceTime, you know, so they've been, they've been doing group FaceTime. Um, so, you know, I think it's, we just have to do this as long as we possibly can, because the longer we're able to do this, the faster we'll be able to suppress the virus in our community. And then hopefully that's effective. And then we can start getting back to, you know, slightly more normal ways of interacting because the virus won't be circulating in our community. But uh, in, in the short term, we absolutely have to, you know, limit access to playgrounds and, and basketball courts and so forth because it's just not safe. Definitely. Um, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who we mentioned earlier, he, uh, in his speech today, you know, when he was doing his press conference, I guess I should call it on a speech, but his press conference today, he uh, mentioned silver linings. Um, and I think that's one of the things, like, for me, when this first broke, I was really broken. Like, I, I until I figure out what we're going to do, you know, and then I, I feel like that's our civil lining. Like he, he mentioned that we need to find a silver lining in this. Do you, what, what do you see for, do you see silver linings? What are the silver linings? What can people kind of maybe get that's good out of this terrible situation? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think, you know, again, if, if, if you wanted to sort of imagine like an angry God who's going to punish humanity, you know, this is kind of a slap on the wrist. I mean, let's be honest, you know, it's, it's painful and it's horrible and, and we're gonna lose a lot of people, but you know, it could have been a lot worse, right? And we have a lot of technology and a lot of tools that allow us to deal with the situation, um, you know, relatively well compared to our ancestors, you know, even a hundred years ago. So, you know, I think that is a silver lining, right? That our civilization is in some ways able to deal with these kinds of situations, but we have to be more resilient. We have to take care of our uh, most vulnerable members because that improves our resiliency overall. Um, I think the other silver lining, you know, as a climate activist, I mean, we've been, you know, I've been saying for, you know, going on 30 some years that, hey, you know, we got to get our act together, climate change is happening, and it's going to get worse, and, you know, we're going to have disasters, and, and, you know, it's just hard to get people's attention. I mean, let's be honest, you know, it's like, well, yeah, that's all well and good, but I'm going to do this today, you know, right. and one of the silver linings of, of a crisis like this that, that's really going to impact everybody is that, okay, now you really just have to be willfully ignorant to ignore that message, right? It's like, now you've, you've gotten a foretaste of what's to come. And, and it's bad, but we should expect a lot worse. And so if this doesn't motivate us to get ready, I don't know what will. Great point. I agree 100%. I think that this is a wake, I call it a wake up call for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this mass society we have is so, it's a delicate balance. You can't just be so big and, and just ignore reality in, in, in favor of mass profits that are expected to go up 5% every year. Right. Like that's one thing when I was a financial advisor in the business, you know, not everything can go up 5% a year. If, if it does, then we're, we're screwed. <laughs> like if we actually get what the business people want, like Trump talks about what the, what the scientists want. What, what if we get what, and I'm a business person, but think about if we actually get what a lot of business people want to see, which it wouldn't be good for us. It's not good no. for us. We need to really start thinking about smart growth, smart businesses, everything else besides just money. Money should be like the secondary thing. It's nice to have money. It's nice to make money, but it can't rule everything. I want to ask you another question. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I, I, the housing issue, because when the colleges shut down recently, uh, Harvard, you know, Obviously, you got a lot of colleges in Cambridge, Leslie University, MIT, two of the biggest, MIT and Harvard in the whole world. 
Um, but there's a lot of, you know, obviously most people, when they think of Harvard, they think of rich students, you know, getting in because of their family. But, you know, having been around the area and, and just, you know, aware of the media coverage as well, but a lot of us know that that's not always true. And that a lot of people that go to Harvard are actually poor. And a lot of times they're first generation and they're fabulously talented young people who are the first of their, you know, family to go to college or to, you know, go to the Ivy League, let's say, or to Harvard University. And they're still financially, economically, you know, behind. They don't have the resources. They don't have a rich family member to just pack up their stuff and take them home, you know, in the BMW or, or buy an airline ticket. Uh, and a lot of them, when they lost their housing, had nowhere to go. And Dig Boston's been covering this. It's the city of Cambridge, like, having any input on Harvard University and MIT. They just basically dumped them. They basically said, you know, in, in this awful healthcare crisis that we're having, in this awful housing market, we're going to give you no notice. We're going to take away your housing. We're just going to let you fend for yourselves. Um, is Cambridge yeah. doing anything about that to protect those students? Because I feel like, you know, Harvard and MIT were right in to, you know, send people home, but they should have given a lifeline to the certain students who need the, the money, that need the help, that need the financial assistance, that need the housing, maybe just open it for them. Right. Yeah. I mean, my understanding is that that is true. So, so people who really have no other options are allowed to stay in the dorm. Um, but, you know, certainly if there are any situations that, that you know about or, you know, that we come to know about, uh, we will do everything in our power to help those individuals, you know, find uh, a place to stay. I know that a lot of people in the community have stepped up and offered, you know, their homes or, or an empty room in their house to, to students uh, in need of housing. So, you know, I think, again, that one of the things that hopefully we're learning from this from this crisis is that we all need to step up and, and help out and, and support each other. And, you know, I, I believe that Harvard uh, does offer exceptions to people. I know that, you know, international students, for example, who can't get a, a return flight home, um, you know, that, that the university is working with them to accommodate those situations. Um, but, but to the extent that, that people really are um, put out of, of a place to stay, um, you know, we'll, we'll do everything we can to help them for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Quentin. Uh, we took a lot of questions. I'm just checking to see if there are any like real other questions from our audience on Facebook, but you've, you've uh, really done the marathon today for us. How are you feeling? Are you feeling all right? I'm is good. your throat better yeah. too? Your throat is better? Yeah, it's, it's definitely better. It's not hundred percent yet, but you know, I, I suspect some of it is just me worrying about this whole thing. <laughs> right. So, and, I mean, I can't imagine the kind of, like for us, the amount of response we got over this COVID-19 on, you know, on our Twitter and our Facebook, everything, it's just been crazy. I can't imagine what it's like to be a city councilor in the city of Cambridge during this. It must be how many, how many people are reaching out to you a day on this? Yeah, a lot. And it's it's pretty intense. And, you know, a lot of it is really great. I mean, people are just stepping up and offering ideas and, and resources and um, it's all helpful. But, you know, it's challenging for me too to make sure that I maintain some balance and, you know, not sit there and deal with the virus all day long because, you know, that's not, that's not healthy either. So um, I just, try to make sure that I take some breaks and, you know, read stuff that's not directly related to the virus just to right. give my mind a break, you know. I hope you get some breaks. I hope you give yourself that. And uh, I want to thank you so much, as always, for taking time for our audience and to answer questions. You're never, like, some, some of the politicians always have, like, little rules about what we can ask or not ask. You've never had that, except for one about the lawsuit, because you can't talk right. about it. I mean, because, right. you know, the attorney from the city basically, I'm sure, told you that. But uh, right. beyond that, beyond lawsuits, you're, you're willing to talk about anything at any time, which I, I love. So, and I don't even have to bring it up to you. You just kind of like, what are we going to talk about today? And I say this, <laughs> maybe. And then I ask 10 other questions and you don't care. You're just like, you're, you're good to go to answer anything. I really appreciate your, your candor and your honesty and your time. and 
everything that you do. Thank you so much, Quentin. Thank you. Thanks for your work. Awesome. Uh, we're the Young Jerks. Uh, we want to thank Quentin again for coming on the show. Uh, we're going to be back definitely on Tuesday. We may have some more shows in, in between that on Monday, excuse me, Monday at 5.30, but uh, we have another special guest on Monday at 5.30. It's uh, Mass State Rep Nika Alugado. Make sure you tune in for that. Yeah, you like her as well? Uh, yeah, one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, you maybe know. next time we'll get you both on at the same time. That would be that'd, good. That would be great. Let yeah. us know who you want us to, because that's the other thing we're going to start doing. I love that. We can bring everyone together from their yeah. homes. So definitely if you have any uh, recommendations on some people you want to be on the show with next time, Quentin, let us know. All right. I will. All right. We're the Young Jerks. We'll see you definitely on Monday at uh, 530, if not sooner. I want to thank everyone for listening, supporting. Uh, again, if you really want to kick in money, support us, midnightmass.substack.com. I also have a cash app or a Venmo you can kick in. Venmo is Mike Crawford, TYJ, like the Young Jerks. Mike Crawford, TYJ, if you want to send money that way as well. It supports our show. It lets me uh, buy a new microphone that I broke today. <laughs> you know, So help us out. Support us. We want to thank everyone. Um, and just stay strong, people. I know this is a tough time. It's a tough time for all of us, from city councilors, Tito Jackson, we want to give uh, love out to, and anyone that is uh, stricken with this COVID-19 anyone who's out of work, depressed, losing housing, we, we're there for you. Just please stick it out. You never know how things will turn out. I've, uh, I know this because I had like 10 years of the worst life and things got better. And they can. You never know what's going to happen. So thank you again, Quentin. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm losing my train of thought. Quentin Zondervan for coming on. And uh, we'll see you, everyone, on Monday at 530. Thank you again. Hi, it's Mike Crawford of The Young Jerks. I want to thank you for listening, subscribing to The Young Jerks podcast, and also recommend that if you would like to support us with a financial contribution, that you do so through the Anchor app or through midnightmass.substack.com, become a paying subscriber. Or if you'd like to just send us a donation, you could do so through Venmo. It's Mike Crawford TYJ on Venmo. Thank you very much. And uh, also, if you could rate and review us on iTunes, it is much appreciated. Thank you.